Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in on this Sunday evening. It's such a blessing to have you with me and for me to be allowed to have some time with you. Thanks so very much. Well, a lot of info to share with you today, so please stay with us as we take a look at today's happenings, current events, news through the lens of the Bible. What is going on? Well, the Word of God, as always, is more current than tomorrow's newspapers. We know that. You and I who are believers, we understand that God already has given us His viewpoints, which covers the entire eternal ages. Amen. So when you know God, you are certainly in the know. That's for sure. Hey, I'm going to look at Isaiah chapter 5 to explain some of the things that's going on. And uh, we know that right here in our area, some national news was made just last week. And it's not news that we really, really enjoy even talking about, but we must talk about it because it's attacks against the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. And this program is designed to keep us aware of what those attacks are against the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. We'll be talking more about that in just a few minutes. Uh, Also, uh, we're going to have our co-host, who is our assistant here at church, co-pastor, but also the staff evangelist for Southwest Radio Ministries. And that's none other than Josh Davis. He'll be with us as well and bring some great insight and truths to us in just a few moments. But Isaiah chapter number 5 says something in verse number 20 that you need to remember. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now that's what was happening in Israel, 700 years before Christ came. So 2,700 years ago, what was happening in Israel is there was the majority of the political arena, the majority of society, the culture, was calling evil good and good evil. They were calling darkness, which is lies, truth, and light was lies. So they reversed them. Light, which we know represents truth in the Word of God. It represents truth in everyday situation. It literally represents a biblical worldview. But they were taking darkness instead of light. Remember what John said in John chapter number 1, that the, that the world loved darkness more than light, that the light came into the world, but the world loved darkness more than light. Here's Jesus the very Word of God, who is the light there in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. He's the light. He's the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we see this light. We see this truth, the Word, the truth. Yet men love lies and falsehood and evil more than light. And to the point that they were calling good evil and evil good. That was happening in the days of Isaiah. Well, it certainly is happening today. I just read a statistic this week that in the first quarter of this year, first quarter of 2023, 
that more churches, three times the number of churches, have been attacked, vandalized, and attacked in other ways than at this same time period last year. Three times the number. I believe the number was 69, and that was last week when this poll came out. So three times the number of churches have been attacked, vandalized, and just treated evilly by this world and world system in the first quarter of this year than the same time frame last year. What on earth is going on? Well, exactly what we read. They're calling the church evil now. The church that is good, the church that has the light of the gospel, the church which is the very method of deliverance for sin-sick souls, deliverance for those who are under the control of Satan, deliverance from those who are under the control of addictions, the church who has the truth, the pillar and the ground of the truth, the church of the living God who is the only good organization on planet earth because it's the head of the church is Jesus himself. We're the only truly good organization or organism, a truly a body on planet earth. Yet society says they're evil. They speak against what we're doing. They speak against the sin that the Bible tells us is wrong. Then we're not going to have it. So let's attack the church. Let's attack the church. I remember a number of years ago, back when President Obama was in his first term, he boldly proclaimed that America was not a Christian nation, that we should not refer to ourselves as a Christian nation. Now this to many says, well, he's just telling the truth. But actually, it was a purposeful denying of what the truth of our foundation was. No, would we definitely appear to be a Christian nation today? No, no, we're post-Christian, I would agree. But to make a statement in the manner that he did was to say that Christianity is no longer the goodness and the earmark of goodness for America. We're better than that. You know that's what he was saying. You know that's what's been said since. We're better than Christianity. How can you get better than the Lord Jesus Christ? You cannot. He is the only true and living way. No man can get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. No way, form, or fashion. There's no new ways. There's no new doors. Jesus is it. He said those words. I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, just me. That's what Jesus said. And so you cannot do better than the church. Yet the church is being attacked more than ever before. So much so that right here in our area, at Conorock Baptist Church, right up here in Washington County, Virginia, Conorock Baptist Church was uh, literally... Uh, vandalized right after their Easter service last week. Uh, My understanding is, Brother Blevins, a pastor there, uh, understanding is that after the church had their Easter service, that their vandals came in and spray-painted demonic uh, things all over the walls and just just, 
uh, totally did their best to destroy everything that was everything that had been such a blessing to uh, for decades to many many families and people over the scores of years. And Satan sure hates what's going on there. He hates what's going on in the church. So he's filling the hearts of people today to hate the church. They're calling the church evil, and the evil they're calling good. Think about this now. Here we find that we are to change our mind on gender. We're to change our mind on marriage. We're to change our mind on many things and go along with society. But when you and I, as the church, have the living, true Word of God, my friends, we cannot do that. Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil that put or exchange darkness for light, lies for truth, that put light and truth as darkness or evil, and put bitter things, which it's just bitter, isn't it? It's bitter tasting uh, what's happening to the family today. It's bitter tasting what's happening to our children, our young people under the, the attack of Satan. We cannot call that sweet. No, sweet is sweet. Bitter is bitter. You cannot exchange the two. We know better than that. Isaiah also said that truth is fallen in the street. But ladies and gentlemen, let us never forget that the church who once was the conscience of America. The church was. If the church was against something, then absolutely we all and the politicians all were against it. If the church was for it and the church said the Word of God supported it, they were for it. But today it's the opposite. But you and I are at a point we must obey God rather than men. Yes, we must obey God rather than men. Let us not forget that. Let's stay firm. Let's be strong. And in these days when sister churches just as close home as right here in Conner Rock, Virginia, Conner Rock Baptist Church, that uh, when, when they're being vandalized and under attack and Three times the number of churches have been attacked in the first quarter of this year than the same time frame last year. Let me remind you, as you see the enemy around Israel, you see that Satan hates two, uh, can I say, organizations in this world more than anything. He hates the nation of Israel. I call it an organization because God organized the nation, birthed overnight. Yes, he hates Israel, and secondly, he hates the church of the living God, the bride of Christ. He hates us, my friend. So, it's really looking at it in the, I believe, the most positive manner is the fact that we must be in the, can we say, the verge of a great awakening, a powerful move of the Holy Spirit for Satan to be so filled with anger toward us and animosity toward us uh, to attack us physically as is being done. I do believe that we're going to have an outpouring of the Spirit. I'm encouraged by the advance of these Christian films. It's blessed my heart to, to hear how those are, are outselling in the box office. That's good. And I'm blessed to hear about 
in different colleges and even high school campuses, the Spirit of God moving. And may I pray and may we all pray together, Lord, do it even more than ever before. Joel prophesied of this, my friend. In Joel chapter 2, he not only prophesied of the day of Pentecost, but he also gave a time frame toward the second coming of our Lord that there would be a mighty outpouring of His Spirit. And my prayer is, even so do it, Lord Jesus. Well, come on, Brother Josh, and share with us some great truths now, if you would. Thank you, Pastor Brad, and thank you to our listening audience. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Answers from Antioch, brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. We invite you to connect with us at AntiochBristol.com. We appreciate those of you who joined us for a special night of worship with Triumphant Quartet this past Thursday night. We had a wonderful time of worship together, and we got to see some of you, our listening friends, join us in that night of worship. Thank you so much for that. Again, we invite you to connect with us at AntiochBristol.com. You can listen to past episodes of this broadcast. You can watch or re-watch our service videos and live streams. You can share those out with other people should you choose to do so. And so we appreciate your participation with us in the ministry. Thank you so much for your role and your partnership with us. I want to just offer some encouragement from God's Word How do we respond in the face of difficulty? How do we respond when life hits us so hard and we just don't know what to do? And to be honest with you, there are moments where we struggle to figure out what God is up to. What's the story that he's writing through our life? Why is he allowing this situation to happen the way that it is? John chapter 11 has been a chapter that has been so very real to me, and God has just spoken to me through it in a powerful way, going back a number of years now. And it starts out in one of the most unusual ways that I can think of. So there's Martha and Mary. They live in a town called Bethany. Jesus is about 20 miles away from them at this point, and if you will, they, they put out a 911 emergency call. Lazarus is on his deathbed. He is sick. And I, I take it from the emergency kind of language that this happened rather suddenly. In other words, this wasn't a chronic thing, a slow, progressively getting worse. But I take it that this was perhaps a very sudden, very unexpected illness, injury, whatever the case was that struck Lazarus. And so they say, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And so they send this messenger to go 20 miles. And some Bible scholars have calculated that by the time he reaches Jesus with this message, Lazarus is still alive. But by the time Lazarus dies, uh, he wouldn't have had time to come back before then. In other words, that Lazarus would have already died before they got word from Jesus. So why did they send for Jesus in the first place? It's because they had seen Jesus do miracles of healing where he didn't have to be physically present to perform that miracle. And so I believe that they're watching Lazarus very closely, very intently, saying, Oh, I'm sure that they've gotten there by now. I'm sure that they must have been able to be there by now, but they're not. 
And uh, so we see that they go through this uh, routine as they're watching Lazarus and waiting and watching and waiting and watching. And he gets worse and worse and worse. And he dies. Then the messenger shows up with the message. Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. When the messenger comes with the message of life and of hope, I'm sure he's excited and he's quickening his pace. Those 20 miles back, Lazarus is going to be okay. He's going to be okay. I've got to get back. I can't wait to tell him this good news. I can't wait to share with him this wonderful news. Jesus is going to heal Lazarus. He's getting ready to come. He's going to touch him. He's going to heal him. Then, as a servant draws nearer, as this person, this messenger draws nearer, they begin to hear crying and weeping and wailing. So this doesn't sound normal. I can't wait to tell them what Jesus told me. They're going to stop crying, and it's going to be joy. And yet he comes and he sees Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. Why did Jesus say the sickness is not unto death, but Lazarus dies? What's going on here? As I said, there are times that we struggle to figure out the story that God is writing in our lives. We say, God, you know, your word says this, but it doesn't seem to be lining up for me. Maybe that's true for somebody else, but it's not true for me. And Lord, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this to happen? And I believe that people begin to question at this point in time, does Jesus really love us? Does he really care about us? If he cared, why didn't he run back with the messenger? It tells us in verse 5, the very next verse, after Jesus' statement, it reminds us Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, in other words, when Jesus got the message that Lazarus was sick, what did he do? Did he jump up and say, boys, grab your bags, we're heading down to Bethany. We've got to get there as fast as we can to be with our friends. No, he does the exact opposite of what we'd expect. He abode two days still in the same place where he was. He stayed still two more days. Again, it's a head scratcher. Jesus, what are you up to? What's the story that you're writing here? Why are you allowing this to happen to some of your dearest friends? You send no message other than this sickness is not into death. And by the time the messenger gets back, Lazarus is already dead. And all hope is gone. Then Jesus says, let's go. Let's go. It's time for us to go to Bethany. The disciples were saying, no, we don't want to go there. They just tried to kill us last time we were around Jerusalem. Why do you want to go back there? So there's a conflict that's butting heads. That's the way that life is. Somebody wants Jesus to do one thing while there's an exact opposite group who wants Jesus to do the exact opposite thing. And it's not that Jesus is being pulled. He is not being pulled. He's in control of this whole situation. And he is working it out according to his perfect plan for the glory of God. That's what it said in verse 4, is it not? This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So whatever Jesus is about to do is going to bring maximum glory to the Father. 
and is going to minister to so many people in a marvelous way. Could Jesus have healed Lazarus by just speaking the word while he's 20 miles away from him? Certainly he could have done that. Why didn't he do that? Why did he not heal Lazarus before he died? You see, sometimes God is writing a bigger story that we can't see. And if you've read John 11, you know what's about to come as Jesus comes to Bethany. I want to skip to that miracle. There's a lot of wonderful, wonderful verses just chock full of beautiful truths. But I want you to see this central truth. Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave and he it comes walking out of that grave alive. And this miracle stuns absolutely everyone. So the disciples are there. They see this. Martha and Mary are there. They see this. There's a whole crowd of people who witness this firsthand. And so Jesus gets greater glory. God gets greater glory through doing, doing the miracle this way. But it was not just for the greater glory of God. And here's the truth I want you to really latch on to, and I want you to really grab hold of. What is for God's greatest glory is also for our greatest good. And I hope you catch that. And again, latch on to that. Grab hold of that. What is for God's greatest glory is also for our greatest good. The disciples needed their faith in Jesus to be stretched, and they needed it to be stronger. Jesus knew shortly the cross is coming, and they are going to need that strengthened faith in me. So he strengthens it through this one miracle, but also through this one miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. He strengthens the faith of Martha and of Mary, as he tells Martha in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe this, Martha? And she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world, a powerful statement of faith. And by the way, while we're there, let's stop and ask ourselves that question. Do you believe in Jesus? This is really one of the key words of this whole passage of John chapter 11 is believe. The disciples needed to believe. Martha needed to believe. Mary needed to believe. The crowd of mourners and friends gathered around needed to believe. And you know what happened after they saw with their own eyes Lazarus come out of the grave alive? They realized what Martha and Mary had realized, that Jesus is the Messiah. Martha said it back there in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, which should come into the world. That crowd needed to see that witness on display, and they saw it. Many of them turned to Jesus right then and right there. Would they have been saved? 
Maybe a few would, but would many turn to Jesus as turned to him when they witnessed this firsthand and saw Jesus do it because he's physically present right there in front of them? Oh, the plans of God are so awesome when you stop and you consider how Jesus brought all these things together. But it wasn't just these few things that I've mentioned. There's many, many others that Jesus did. If you read the end of John chapter 11, it seems like it takes a more serious, somber tone because some in that crowd did not believe in Jesus. They turned away from Jesus in uh, disbelief and went to the religious leaders and told them what Jesus did. And the religious leaders were trying to save their own little man-made kingdom. They said, we got to get out in front of this, guys. We have got to stop this as fast as we can. And so they make up plans and they figure out what's the best way that we can put a stop to Jesus Everybody's going to go after this man when they hear that he can resurrect the dead. I mean, what's up with that? They had to be thinking. And so they come up with a plan. And their plan is it'd be better for one man to die for the nation than for the whole nation to go after this man. They were looking at preserving their own little kingdom. And they rejected the Messiah who was standing right there with them, among them at this very time. But what was God doing even through that? Why does God include that picture for us in the word of God? Why not end on a happy note when he raises Lazarus from the dead and all the crowd uh, turns to him in faith? Why not end John chapter 11 right there? Why include the opposition that came against him? It's because of this, that even in the opposition, God was working. God was writing his story even in the opposition. And the story was this, the story of the cross. God was advancing his kingdom mission, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection that would come thereafter as well. We spoke at length about the resurrection last Sunday on Resurrection Sunday. But God brought that into greater focus through the miracle of John chapter 11. And so what I'm saying to you is simply this, that what God did to get maximum glory was also for maximum good for the people. And we need to understand that God is not trying to hurt us. God is not trying to harm us with Lazarus with Martha, with Mary, with his disciples, with the crowd, they were pushed outside of their comfort zone. They were pushed beyond their knowledge. They couldn't understand why Jesus didn't respond how they thought he should, when they thought he should, how they thought he should. They struggled to comprehend what he was doing. But they ran back to trusting in him. They trusted who he was. And that made the difference. And friends, that's what makes the difference for you and for me. When we lean on the Lord, when we trust in him with all of our heart, and we turn to him in our brokenness, in our pain, in our hurt, and we give it all into his more than capable hands to hold us up 
and to guide us in the way that he is going. He is taking you on a journey to do what Romans 8.28 says and bring all things together for good. God's greatest good is for your greatest good. God's greatest glory is for your greatest good as well. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us. I don't know where you're at right now, dear friend, but I do know I can tell you this on the authority of what we've just looked at in God's word. Lean on Jesus. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when you can't figure out where he's leading you, lean on him. Run to him. Do not give in to the temptation to run away from him. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you do not, turn to him with eyes of faith today. Call upon him. He's waiting for you to come to his open invitation. He invites you now to come to him. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at antiochbristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.